Hi guys, welcome back to another Tennessee Holler Facebook Live. Come on in, share the feed. We have a good group today. We hope you guys will join us. We're tnholler.com, at the tnholler on Twitter and Facebook. Today we've got Wade Monday, as always, then Representative London Lamar, Representative Gloria Johnson are here with us. How are you all doing today? Let's start with you, Gloria. How are you doing? I am doing great today. I've been having great conversations. You've been having conversations with constituents. All right, good. How are you doing, Wade? I am so happy to be with two smart, bright, intelligent women legislators uh, to spice up our Monday. Yes. A great conversation. Well, Gloria, last time it was just Wade and I, and it just felt like something was missing. And uh, a chromosome, uh, some, you know, a lot of things were missing. This time we're going to get the, the various perspectives, and hopefully, London will find her way back in here. If you guys have any comments to comment along, please feel free. We can see them, we will flash them on the screen. We want to hear from you. Uh, we're going to be talking about a bunch of things today, starting with the mask mandate situation and the virus, which I think is top of mind for everybody here. I'll start with a personal story. Uh, I sent my wife off to the school system today for the first time. She works in Rutherford County. It was a very, it was a tearful goodbye. It was hard. Uh, she sent me a note last night that made me cry just in case anything goes wrong. I can imagine that this is what's going on throughout our state as people get ready to go back to school. Uh, Gloria, are you hearing from constituents about their fears about going back to school? And, and what do you think about all this? Teachers are terrified. Parents are terrified. Well, parents with the ability are doing online school and keeping those kids home. The very, very sad thing for those who don't have that ability, who don't have jobs where they can work from home or are frontline workers that have to be there. And a lot of these folks are grocery store employees and waiters and waitresses, and they have to send their kids to school because they don't have a choice. But these are also the families that don't have health insurance, that don't have access to affordable care. We are putting the most vulnerable, vulnerable at risk. Again, we're creating huge inequities by many of the folks that can keep their kids home and on, online or have you know, more resources and more supports. And it's those without that have to send their kids to school. And I know teachers, I've got a friend who is pregnant. She also has autoimmune disorder. This pregnancy has been very, she has to be very cautious. She's lost one baby before. And um, she is going on leave. She cannot take the risk. She wants to be in a classroom. She wants to do her job, but she cannot risk herself and her child. And Gloria, if I could just jump in really quickly, I, I've heard personal stories too of teachers taking an early retirement because this is putting them in fear for their safety. It's also creating undue burdens on teachers who we already understand and take for granted. Do you see this as having a long-term ripple effect for our school systems in general, being able to hire and retain uh, qualified candidates to teach in our schools? Absolutely. Uh, people don't understand the level of stress. And there are people who actually think, oh, teachers just don't want to go back to work. We are terrified. They are terrified for their kids. They're terrified for the custodians, for uh, the cafeteria workers, for the teaching assistants who barely make minimum wage. 
We're talking about forcing people back to work who don't have resources, may not have health care, and we don't have to make the decision. We can do distance learning until the numbers start coming down. We have rapid testing, serious contact tracing, legitimate PPE. No teacher should walk in a classroom. Uh, someone, someone's phone keeps ringing. And in 95 <laughs> N95 mask and a shield. No one, no teacher should go into a room without one. And we are not giving these things. We don't have rapid testing. We're not ready. I have a friend who's a physician and he spoke to the BOE, the Board of Education here in Knoxville. And he basically said, teachers are going to die. Yeah. Are you prepared to deal with that in your school? London, what do you hear from your people in Memphis? Are they terrified? Are, do they want schools to open? What 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 are we hearing? And also, really quickly, absolutely is the largest school system in the state, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Shelby County has about two hundred plus schools in its school system, or the largest school uh, county in the state. And for the most part, parents, they put out a survey to ask parents, what do they prefer? And from my understanding, the overwhelmingly majority of parents voted that they do not want to send their kids back to school during this COVID-19 virus. They are scared. But what I'm hearing is more than about this, uh, the safety component and the risk of catching COVID-19. The a concern for a lot of people in my city, a city where we have some of the highest poverty rates, and, and the whole state, one of the most impoverished urban areas in the state, um, you know, wanted 50 percent of students in Shelby County schools are below the poverty line. And so what they are most scared of is the fact that how are these parents who have to work to feed their kids and themselves already working two to three jobs a day? How are they going to educate their children? How are they going to watch their children? Do uh, some of these families don't even have internet in their homes because they can't even afford it? But I know there have been um, some things done by Shelby County Schools to kind of fill those gaps. But also, like, who is going to make sure the children are doing their work when the parents are at home? They don't have no support. They can't afford tutoring services or outside services such as families for more um, middle wealthy classes uh, to have that support. So um, it's a huge concern because when you think about virtual learning, you really have to start tapping into the socioeconomic impacts of virtual learning. And at the end of the day, virtual learning is still a privilege because it's having the ability to have parents who can stay at home, who don't have to work, or the fact that you may have a two-parent household where one can stay at home. Or, you know, then you come to poor kids whose parents do have to work or parents who may not even understand how to help their students because they don't have the education that our children have now. So when I think about this, the, the, the thought of our education system moving to home, I'm, I'm nervous on a whole different level because what I do know about public schools, it, it created somewhat of an even playing field for students to get a fair and adequate education. But when you take that away and take it home, you're really going to see the impact of the disadvantages and the socioeconomic classes of students and how it makes an impact on their ability to learn and stay on track. I'm nervous yeah. about students falling behind as well, but I understand safety's first. So we yeah, I think you, you make a, you make a great point. Sorry. You make a great point, London. It's it's a privilege to be able to stay home, and you know not everybody can keep their kids home, and that that's a tough uh, a call for a lot of people. But also, in this state, we don't 
fund those programs. We don't fund education. We don't fund, we don't subsidize daycare for low income families. We could be making this decision and this situation a lot easier on people, but we don't. And then we turn around and say, Oh, well, you know, these institutions aren't doing the job. Uh, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Gloria. I can see well, you. The reality is we got billions from the federal government for COVID. We could be opening up more daycares for the young children and providing a free daycare for parents who work. And we know that with spread in elementary age kids is much less than spread with middle and high school. Middle and high school spread is the same as adult spread. Elementary kids and below that are a much lower rate of spread. If we opened up more daycares, kept them separate, really paid the people who are working there and provided the PPE that's necessary and all of the things that you have to do, we could make it so parents could work safely and those kids could be in a free daycare that's not costing them. And when I say it's not just online learning, but it has to be different distance learning for folks. You've got to accommodate the folks who do have internet until you can get it to them. And then, you know, you've got to accommodate everybody. It's not perfect, but it, it, it can prevent that. So, so as state legislators, you both, know how large and robust our rainy day fund is in Tennessee. And that sounds like one reasonable accommodation that the Republican leadership could make if we're going to force people back to school is to fully fund some programs with teachers going to classroom with PPE or making access to distance learning and remote learning accessible to everyone. I mean, we do have many, many counties uh, that just don't have access to broadband. I, when I was running for office in Cheatham County, I heard this heartbreaking story of a woman who would drive to the public library in Cheatham County just so she could access Wi-Fi at nine o'clock at night when she came home so that her, her daughter could submit her homework virtually. And, and there's a lot more that, that our state government can do because we've got the federal funds and we've got the state funds. Is that right? Wow. It's... You know, there there are all kinds of money. We just absolutely we just deposited three hundred twenty-five million in the rainy day fund. In a few months, we're going to deposit another what two hundred fifty million in the in the rainy day fund. What what is a rainy day? If, if it's not this, what is a rainy day? Yeah, I mean, I know it's sunny outside, but it seems like a lot of people are drowning and the streets are flooded with, you know, need right now. And I know that you all, as Democrats, propose amendments to raise funds for teachers, 150 million, I think it was extra for schools that were all killed. So I think people need to understand what amendments are getting voted down and how real world impact would be of, of, you know, of actually passing some of these things. Uh, I want to talk about the mask mandate for a second. This was our headline today that even Arkansas and Alabama are mandating masks while governor Lee has punted to the counties. Uh, London, what do you think about a mask mandate and should Governor Lee have, have imposed one? We lost London again. Gloria, how about you? Well, when, she, when, when London freezes, she looks so lifelike. <laughs> um, no, understand that people have the right. People have the right. Okay, we got that. Gloria, let's go to you for a second. <laughs> we, 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 missed, we, we can only hear snippets of you, London. We need okay. universal broadband in Memphis. That's the first thing we need. All right, now we got you, London. Go ahead. Okay. 
Okay, so thank you. Um, sorry about that. Um, the Wi-Fi was a little spotty. So what I wanted to say was, is that, you know, I'm of the belief that people have the right to protect themselves as they deem necessary. But in a pandemic where we are so unsure about how COVID would continue to act in the, uh, impact individuals. The scary thing about COVID is, is that I could have it and be totally fine, show no symptoms, but the person next to get COVID and pretty much be on a ventilator, if not die. And so because there's so much inconsistency in how this virus affects people and the fact that we don't have any vaccines, we don't have, we don't have very little information on this. It is important that we take the steps and go ahead and be responsible and wear masks when we're out in public. You know, I think that that's just some sort of obligation we have as citizens is to protect one another, despite the fact that we may not want to do it. Um, it's just the right thing to do. Once we get a little bit more information and we start to see vaccines and uh, come up with treatments on how to prevent COVID-19, I can see it being more of an individual choice if you want to wear a mask or not. It can be an individual choice if you're in your personal space. But I think when you're in public spaces with a number of people that you are not accountable to, you need to have on a mask. Gloria Wade, what do you guys think? Want to go ahead, Wade, or you want me to go? <laughs> I, I mean, London said it perfectly. Wear a damn mask. I mean, there, there, there <laughs> are many armchair epidemiologists, especially in the Republican Party, who, who also want to side with civil liberties and say this is a civil liberties issue. But uh, plain and simple, it's a matter of respect for your neighbors. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And that's why, you know, so many of these rural schools, have no qual no requirement for masks whatsoever. And so you're thinking of a teacher sitting there and catching this all day long from from 120 different kids probably, depending on what grade they teach. If they're middle and high school, they're seeing over 100 kids and they're bringing in everything that they brought from their family, you know what those kids are doing at home. And if they're social distancing or if their family is masked when they go out, and so you are you're killing our community. And if you look at what happened in Israel, they had really controlled their numbers. They had it down. They sent their kids back to school and they were able to tell their numbers skyrocketed. And it was due to the spread, community spread in school. We know that most of the spread comes from in the home, in the workplace, where people gather for events like funerals and weddings and restaurants and bars, we know that's where it's happening. Schools are going to multiply that by a huge amount. We know it's going to create community spread. And I posted this morning about 10 counties surrounding Knox. Our graph goes straight up. I mean, literally straight up. It's going to be unbelievable when kids go back to school. We just learned today that Tennessee and Nevada are seeing the worst jump in cases. Masks, you know, it's really an upside downside thing. Like there is so little downside. There's only upside. You know, all the studies are coming back and they keep wanting to blame Fauci and the scientists for saying that we didn't need them to begin with. Well, now we know we do need them. You know, they keep wanting to live in the past and point to that stuff. But, you know, you're just being selfish. You're being childish. There's no reason not to do it. And, you know, if there's even a small chance that it will limit the spread and save one life, you should be doing it. I mean, we need to be trying everything we can right now. Uh, let's go ahead, Wade. It's a question for the group. Do you think that there's been enough political leadership maybe in the state or nationally 
I'm getting the message right. Yeah, I mean, rhetorical, but I really no. know what can be differently to express to people that not just like you're not just protecting yourself by wearing a mask, but you're also protecting hospital capacity system, the systems in general. Because if someone is in an ICU on a ventilator, that person is taking up the space of someone who could be having a stroke. It could be, you know, a family member who's having a heart attack. So, you know, the strain that it's putting on, especially rural health systems, has there been any messaging from the Republican leadership that largely represents these rural areas? No, no. and as a matter of fact, <laughs> when I talk about those 10 counties around us, Knox County, um, it'll give the number of IC, ICU people we have in Knox County. And it doesn't sound like a lot. But if you look at the number, we are 91%. And that, this was before the weekend. We were 91% capacity for our ICU because we get those surrounding counties that don't have hospitals. And so these people who think that this is not going to affect them, it most definitely is. And you, right. cannot, you cannot bring back the economy if you don't contain the virus. We are doing zero to contain the virus in Tennessee. Right. It's like Dion says here, what happens when rural teachers start getting sick? Where will they go to get treated when so many hospitals have closed? That's a really good point. You know, there's simply no excuse for not expanding Medicaid in Tennessee. We lose a billion dollars a year not doing that. And something that I said on Twitter today, and, and you know, I just think it's funny how all of these Republicans who, you know, their big thing is school choice and that the public schools are brainwashing our kids and you should be able to stay home and steer the money to homeschoolers. Suddenly in a pandemic, now we have to send our kids to in school at public schools or else the world is going to end if we don't do it right now. And of course, that has nothing to do with creating some normalcy so that their dear leader can get reelected. Yeah, no, exactly. And we shut down the government um, at the end of March, 1st of April, and the idea, or shut down businesses and all that thing. And the idea behind that was we're going to take this time to beef up and be ready for this virus. We didn't do contact tracing. We didn't set that up. We have no rapid testing. Tests in Knoxville are taking 12 days to get by. You can't go back to work. You certainly can't go back to school. If a teacher has to take 12 days off to be tested when she gets exposed, and no subs will work. How's that going to work? You're going to put right. kids in the teacher's classroom. Right. No one has thought this through. It is a terrible idea. It's terrible for rural. It's terrible for urban and suburban. And these people who want to save the economy, they're going to decimate the economy by taking this step. Well, let's go from this uh, uplifting topic to another one. Uh, this week we lost a great man, John Lewis. Uh, you know, I, the thing that stuck out to me, which uh, Tequila Johnson said, she said, I don't know if I'm sad or triggered. Nothing turns my stomach more than watching the same Republican legislators who voted to criminalize voter registration and who praised Nathan Bedford Forrest pretend to mourn civil rights icons. Uh, one of the people she was talking about is Marsha Blackburn, who said he was a dear and honorable man. His dedication to seeking racial justice and reconciliation marked his life. And I don't know who wrote this for her, but as a flashback, uh, she did bring a neo-Confederate secessionist to deliver a congressional prayer once upon a time. London, how do you feel watching Republicans big up John Lewis while also criminalizing voter registration in Tennessee? 
Well, I just ask that you help keep up with the screenshots. So when I come back with another Nathan Bedford Forest bill to end Nathan Bedford Forest Day and pass other progressive legislations, I want to be able to say, but you tweeted that you respect our fight for racial justice. So make that happen with your vote today. Right. You know, right. and 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 that's the thing about it for me is it's about accountability. Somebody's dog just barking, just tricked me. <laughs> Definitely mine but, are for sure. Yes, but um what I want to say is, you know, I and I under I get it. You know, while it I while I, if you didn't, you know, honor him, I will feel a certain type of way. You have to respect him, but if you truly value his work and what the civil rights movement meant and what those lunch counters and the fight for voter rights and all of those things mean to the black community. When we stand up there in a the well and when we talk in committee about these same issues that Congressman John Lewis started and all the other civil rights leaders who came started, then you will, you will vote in a totally different way. And I get that. It's like, don't sit here and thank me for hollering and screaming and put my life on the line to advance racial justice, but then do the exact opposite when it comes to you being a gatekeeper to the system that's constantly oppressing us. It's disrespectful. Um, but, you know, I think that at the end of the day, this is about power. Um, and, and I think that right now in this new age of the Black Lives Matter movement, which for me and my generation is the new, the modern day civil rights movement, the movement that Congressman John Lewis and other leaders started years ago is now picking up steam. And we're now knocking on the doors of these uh, individuals who are gatekeepers to a system of our oppression to say no more. And if you truly honor those who came before you like John Lewis. I'm asking you to change the way that you legislate. And, and as a legislator, I can only focus on my colleagues in the, in the state process because that is where I truly feel like my impact belongs. But And that's where I'm going to hold people accountable too. But we all have an obligation to hold our elected leaders accountable, no matter what level, to honoring John Lewis through the way that you advocate for people in those positions that you hold. Here, here. Well, I want to obviously Gloria and Wade, you can weigh in with whatever you'd like to. But before you do, I just want to show Blake Campbell said or also post a photo of the wrong person. And I happen <laughs> to have what he's talking about right here. This is Marco Rubio said it was an honor to know and be blessed with the opportunity to serve in Congress with John Lewis, a historic American hero. May the Lord grant him eternal peace. And it's a picture of Elijah Cummings. My favorite part by far is that he made it his avatar. Wait, what did you think? I when guess you he thinks all black people look alike. Man, the oh. Lord bless Marco Rubio. <laughs> the only thing to say is bless his heart. Bless his heart. Yes, that's my favorite Southern phrase. I've come to learn what it means in bless. my four years here. Gloria, what do you think? Uh, I just think it's atrocious. I think it shows it shows the utter hypocrisy and the lack of concern and care for everything that he stands for. And it is a perfect, I mean, I think it's a picture perfect example of what is happening in our legislators at the state legislatures at the state level and at the federal level. They uh, give lip service, but no action toward what, um, what he stood for and what he fought for so hard. You and again, I, I will challenge every time it comes up this 
when I win my election, every time it comes up on the floor, I'm going to say, you know, I have a list of the folks who tweeted out about, you know, John Lewis's death. And I'm going to ask them, what do you mean by that if you're not going to honor him in this place? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it reminds me of the time Governor Lee made the mistake of going to Memphis on MLK Day and Reverend Dr. Barber absolutely lit him up yeah. uh, in, in, in a way that I don't, that few have ever been lit up to their face. It was one of the most glorious things I've ever seen. It was right when we had started the holler too. And like we posted every second of it as a separate clip and it was part of how we got a little traction with the holler. Uh, he, I didn't think he would go back to Memphis anytime soon, but he actually did. And that time he was met by an activist named Theron Bond who did the same thing. So I would be surprised if he comes back to Memphis anytime soon, London. You may have to go to him for your next sit down with him. No, I think that he's going to come back to Memphis because I feel like it's important that you don't turn your back on one of the cities that's most in need. And especially a city like Memphis, who felt as we're the stepchild of the state. Uh, and in the way that we talk about resources, um, you know, us taking our Nathan Bedford Forest statue down that they tried to take away a quarter million from Memphis, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. Like, if you are truly going to be a governor of all of Tennessee, you have to come to Memphis. And those conversations in Memphis aren't going to be easy because you are coming into a city that has been systematically disadvantaged for decades. Yeah. And you have to own that and be bold enough to hear what we have to say about it and be committed to changing it. If you don't want to continue to hear, you know, activists and those of influence come at you about how a city has been wrong and they felt like they don't have what they need from the state. I mean, Memphis has been ravaged by education reform. Our school system has just been destroyed and you are the man that's further trying to destroy it by pushing vouchers, which is going to continue to obliterate our school system by taking away funding most people don't have anything nice to say. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's understandable. You got to listen. You still got to listen. You got to go in there and take your lumps. I just got a message on my phone. I want It goes back to a conversation we were having earlier about COVID. Leader Camper's on a flight, and she just got an alert on her phone on the flight that says certain places that you're going to, if you are from Tennessee, require a 14-day quarantine. Yeah, so and while on a flight, that she may have to court, you know, that people have to court it. We can't go anywhere because other states are afraid of us. Why wouldn't they be? You know, they have every right to be. Look at what's going on. We're one of two states where this thing is spiking. This clown didn't mandate masks. Like it all adds up to nothing good. And, you know, they're absolutely right to be wary of us. And, uh, you know, we would be too if, if the roles were reversed. Uh, Wade, you have anything you want to say about the, the John Lewis stuff or Memphis or, you know, uh, you know, I, I think it's one thing to go to Memphis to sit down for political points and just to show that, you know, Governor Lee is, you know, looking after every part of the state. But I don't think he's really internalizing what we should learn from the lessons of John Lewis and other civil rights leaders. And I mean, Nashville's, you know, current identity should be wrapped up in in how we founded much of the civil rights movement of the 20th century and how we can show leadership in the rest of the South. But, you know, there are protesters outside the state capitol right now 
who, yes, they're demanding that the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest be taken down, but there are so many other actions that they could be doing right now, and the governor will not sit down and speak with them. As a matter of fact, there's been a campaign of constant harassment of the protesters that are there peacefully waiting to sit down and speak with, with the yep. governor, but he's ignoring them entirely. Right, that's the amazing thing. He, he tweeted, you know, platitudes for John Lewis, and meanwhile, what's going on right outside his capital is he's got hundreds of troopers taking things from homeless people, refusing to meet with protesters who are fighting for very similar things to what John Lewis stood for. So you're absolutely right to bring that up. There were during, during the trial of the murderers of Emmett Till, there were two law enforcement officers who went to investigate the scene of the, of the crime uh, and also to find witnesses. Uh, what they found was recently washed floors in the place where Emmett Till was murdered, was lynched. And they found that there were corn and soybeans scattered across the floor. And they acknowledged this was the site of a murder, but it's been covered up. We've done our due diligence. We've investigated. That's all we need to do. And so I feel like what a lot of the Republicans in Tennessee state legislature, they're looking, they're, they're trying to look like they're taking action, but they're not doing anything. They're seeing the corn and soybeans on the ground and they're going along their way while injustices continue to persist in Tennessee, where we could be a leader in the civil rights era, the modern civil rights movement in Tennessee. There's still a lot of progress to be made, but they're ignoring it. Yeah, it's a damn shame. Uh, I have two quick things I wanted to show you guys, and then I will let you go. I think this has been a great conversation. Thank you for joining us here, both of you. Hopefully you guys will come back. London, the first thing I wanted to show you, I don't know if you saw this, this just happened. This is uh, an ambulance drove by the protesters in Memphis and yelled, go get a job. And then Tory Harris went and chased him down, found him and took pictures of him. So this is an ambulance company driving by protesters yelling, get a job in Memphis. There's their phone number right there. If anybody wants to call them and their email, uh, I think definitely the ambulance company needs to hear from people because, you know, that is not something ambulances should be doing. Mm -hmm. So London, I wanted to bring that to your attention. And then Gloria, I wanted to give you a second to weigh in on something that happened in Overton County. This is something that I'm actually maybe the, the most proud of that we've had anything to do with in, in Tennessee. Uh, Overton County had a teacher who has been accused of sexual harassment by multiple students. They were going to send him after a 90 day suspension to an elementary school. He is still a teacher. And he has not been fired, but because people hollered at the school board, he is not going to that elementary school anymore. So that's a win. What do you think needs to happen in that situation, Gloria? Well, we need to start listening to victims and we need to start doing something about it. You know, I haven't heard the DA actually step out to the public in a paper of record or whatever there and really explain. He needs to tell the people why he chose not to prosecute. Things happened as recently as this past school yard school year. The, the DA owes the families an explanation. He needs to explain to that community how is he going to protect the women and how is he going to protect the girls in that community? Because currently, right now, he's not doing that. Yeah. And he, he owes explanation to the community, to the families, and to the women and girls of that community especially. How is he going to protect them? Because right now it's not happening. Yeah, I called that DA and he said that he wouldn't want him teaching his daughters 
but he just said that it wasn't a crime. So, you know, I, I think that you're right to point that out. He does need to take a stand, at least speak out. I hope people will keep making those phone calls and, you know, wait, I know you're a dad and, uh, you know, we, I, I have the same, the same feeling about this. Like, you know, I, if that was my daughter, I would be livid and, you know, I would not let it drop. London, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like this is not something that we can just let go. We, you guys are being forced to serve in the state legislature with a teacher that did this. And, you know, Michael Curcio, every chance I get, I want people to know Michael Curcio is a liar and said that he was going to hear Gloria's bill and did not and ran away. And we have the receipts and every single Republican in that legislature that hasn't spoke out against David Byrd is complicit. But, you know, London, do, do, you know, is this something that we just have to accept in Tennessee that, you know, sexual harassment of young girls is just something that authority figures get away with? I don't think that that's anything that you have to accept. But what I would say is to make sure you use the system in the best way possible to make changes in leadership. For those of us, if you feel like the colleagues are not going to do it, it's up to us to go in that county and go in that district and make sure we're campaigning for the person who can unseat him. And so I think that's where it's be the, our best bet is to focus on energy and to educating the voters and letting them know what type of leadership they have and some things that he's done and to ensure that we get a better leader who respects women, who, who doesn't have these type of allegations and, and things that he's done on his record. Um, but that's up to at this point right now, you have that opportunity to make that change in the November election. And I suggest that you focus all of that energy there. So we, yeah. we see that there's a problem in the state, period, whether elected officials or not, of sweeping these kinds of things under the rug. And we have to ensure that they cannot do that any longer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope people will keep calling that Overton County School Board because he needs to be fired, you know, having anything to do with education, you know, he may not be able to, we, we can't lock him up perhaps, but we can certainly keep him away from children. And that's just as important. Uh, I appreciate you guys being here. Wade, do you have any final thoughts for, yeah. for, for the folks? I mean, this has been a really a great conversation. Thank you both representatives and good luck in your reelection campaigns. We have every faith that you will win and continue to represent us well in Nashville. Absolutely. We'll be here 2 PM on Mondays talking about, the issues that we face, the things that we're hollering about. I also want people to know that we have hollers all across the state now. There are seven of them. Uh, there's even one in West Virginia, which I'm extremely enthusiastic about. It's pretty awesome. And if you feel like there should be one near you, please reach out and maybe we can figure that out too, because you know we, we definitely feel like it's necessary to keep hollering and yelling the truth. And we have two representatives who've been doing it for a long time now. So thank you both. Thank you, guys. Bye. Take care, everybody. Bye. Yeah.